If you have experienced a moment like that, um, or someone has passed, someone who you love, right, it's, it's hard to put into words. You can't really explain to someone who hasn't been there, who hasn't sensed that feeling, that experience when that essence of uh, the person you've known is gone. And it happens in a split second. It's, a, it's, it's hard to explain. In a, Medieval times, they had this concept that maybe the soul, the human soul, would, would actually escape from the body. So what they would do is they would wait until someone was about to die, and they would open the body up, trying to find where is that thing that just left the person. Because any human who's been there knows the experience. You, you know exactly when they're gone. Uh, it's, it's hard to explain it. But it happens instantly, and it is a very sobering experience. It's a very difficult experience uh, to let go of someone. But in that moment, the one thing about this song which kind of gets me the most here, um, if you would, it's kind of the, one of the most uh, Christian lines I've ever heard in my life. And it, it says this, it says, uh, before you leave, you must know that you are beloved. That you are deeply, holy fully loved, right? The, the Greek word uh, in the Scriptures for beloved is it's a picture of almost like coddling, right? You're holding a child, right? Like you are deeply loved and embraced. You're brought close here, right? Now, it's, it, it's a hard thing to explain this, but um, in these moments when someone is about to pass, there are all sorts of parts of their nature, of their soul, of their memory that begin to kind of surface, so sometimes in the last few days of their life, you can speak to them, and, you know, they might be in their 40s or their 80s, but when you speak to them, it's, it's almost like they're four or they're eight or they're 14, and there's, there's parts of their, the, them, their nature that begins to come out, these memories deep-rooted somewhere in the mind, these emotions and desires, it all begins to come out uh, in the last moments. It's a hard thing to quantify, a hard thing to understand. I've, I've read different studies on this scientifically and why this is happening, but we have never really heard something that really kind of hits home, but there is a, a space there. And so for me in these moments, what, I, what I've always pictured, um, it's hard for me to not see this person, just kind of imagine yourself in the room. When I'm in these spaces, the body might be 80 years old, 90 years old, 40 years old, but in those moments, it's hard for me to not see their childlike self. It's almost like I look at them and I see just the most innocent, young, powerless form of who they are just begins to surface. You know, when you're in those moments, that's when people begin to, um, vulnerabilities begin to show up, fears begin to show up, things that they would never say to someone, they'll finally say it in those moments. Um, forgiving people who, you know, had never been able to uh, embracing, hugging, apologizing, crying. It all happens in those last moments because you are face-to-face with the ultimate fear, right? And so your fears and vulnerabilities begin to kind of climb out of you. You can't even help it in these spaces. And, and for me, when I'm there, I just see them as their youngest self. It's almost like I see them uh, as a child. And the reason that this, this, this song kind of it hits home for me so much is the idea that in the last moments of someone's life, if you could allow them to feel anything, to experience anything, to know anything, to learn anything, uh, to have anything left in their hands when they leave this life, it's this thing, it's this word, that they would know that they are beloved, that they are deeply loved, that they are deeply embraced and brought close, that they are wanted here on this side of things. They might be about to go somewhere that we do not know or understand, but what we want them to know is that in this room, in this space with these people, you're wanted here completely, fully. You are beloved. In the Scriptures, this is the theme of the entire Scriptures, Uh, trying to speak to a, a creature, that would be us, that deeply in itself feels unloved, unlovable, if you would. There's a part of us somewhere inside of every human being that, that believes that it is not deeply loved. It is not fully safe. 
It is not completely brought close. It is in some way, shape, or form alone in this world. The fact that you still have secrets that people don't know about you. The fact that there are still thoughts and emotions that you share with no one. That there are things that take place inside of you that not even the closest person in your life has ever heard these things or shared these things with you fully. There's always something that a human being keeps from everyone else, even yourself. Because there's a sneaking suspicion inside every one of us that if we were to be all of who we are, that, that person, that being, whoever that is, is not good enough to be brought close. It's not wanted here, right? And so, uh, in this song, the picture that always kind of gets me is, you know, when you hold a child for the first time, right? You're, you're, you're holding this innocent thing, right? This thing that has literally been born into a new world. It is now a stranger, if you would, in a new place. It, it does not know up from down. It has no concept. It has no safety. It, it cannot protect itself. It can't yet hide anything from anyone. It can't, it can't do anything. And yet the first thing that we do instinctively with these beings, these creatures, is we bring them close. Doctors and scientists have studied the impact of having that flesh-to-flesh connection with another human being. We, we talk about it in our hospitals as, as like having the mothers who have put them on their chest, but in third-world countries where you know, th- there might not be one of those. There are people who volunteer to be a stand-in. They might not be connected blood or any other connection to this child, but if they would simply allow this being in its first moments on life, its first taste of this world, if you would allow it to experience and embrace, it will dramatically shape who this human being grows into. They found in Ukraine and and parts of Russia that there were large uh, numbers of children in the 80s and 70s who were born without the ability to be embraced. They were born in in this system. They just were kind of left to their own devices. We had forms of that in the U.S. as well. And what they found was that the, the actual brain development in these children would be stunted. They would not gain the ability to learn and to grow and to communicate. That emotionally, if these children did grow up, they would grow up to be scary. We'll just say that. Because they would have no emotional connection to anyone or anything. They couldn't feel a thing. Physically, their bodies and organs would not develop the way they're supposed to. All because in their first experience of life, they were not embraced. There's something inside of us that that craves this embrace, this belovedness, to be deeply loved. Not just to have affection or to have a pat on the back or a hug, but to know that there is a space where you are fully brought close that you have a place to belong. We use the word home for this sometimes. That you have a home. And so, in the gospel, one of the things that we talk about deeply, and again, we lose the weight of this phrase. John 3.16, right? And everyone goes, ah, for God so... And you can just feel the cheese whiz, right? Just, ah, God so loved the world. Yeah. And we just move right over this thing, right? This is the, the cornerstone of everything in this sacred book that we talk about. All these stories and all these lives who lived and died and all of this ups and downs and history and all this amazing thousands of years of these things unfolding for one reality to be experienced. That this God loves you. That this God would do all these things for one thing. That you would experience what it is to know that you are beloved, that you are loved in a deep embrace, that you are just brought close. And so for me, it it always kind of resonates in my heart and my mind. At the end of our life and at the beginning of our life, our, our deepest need is most visible. If you go to a daycare, if you go to a nursing home, our deepest need is very clear. We have a deep need to experience being loved, being cared for, being wanted. That our presence is wanted. Now, 
you know, we always have a struggle with these types of deep realities because the words that we're using this morning, the words I'm trying to teach with are very broken. They're not able to communicate the depths of what we're talking about here. When I say the word love, when I say uh, to be welcomed or embraced, these words are still so small compared to the need inside of us. Now, there's a, a line here I want to read to you guys. It's by Henri, Henri Nguyen. Uh, he's one of my favorites. I want to read this to you. It says this, Not being welcome is your greatest fear. Did you hear that? Not being welcome. So when you think of welcome, it's not, hey, uh, thank you for the drink. You're welcome. That's not what it is. Uh, to be welcomed, right, is to be brought in, to be welcomed inside. So picture yourself at your home, opening the door, standing to the side. Come on in. To be welcomed in. I'm famous for a certain skill or habit. I'm very good at blocking the door. Do you know what that means when you, when you open the door and like someone's at your house? Anybody? Everyone's very nice here. Okay. If you surprise me today with whatever, here's a pie, Pastor Devin, we love you. I will do this when I open the door. I will stand in the door. Oh, thank you. Do you see what's happening here? Yeah. You should have called ahead, right? I am blocking the entrance. Thank you. Now I'm going to close the door. Does that make sense? Okay. There's not a, 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 hey, come on in. Sit down. Make yourself at home. Take your shoes off. I will never tell you that, by the way. <laughs> Take those shoes off. I can't wait to smell your feet. Amen. Come on, that's funny. We started real heavy. We have to get a little bit lighter because we can't take that up uh, for half an hour. We'll, we'll all pass out. So to be welcome is to be invited in, to be wanted, that you are wanted in this place, right? So he says this, not being welcome, not being invited in. This is your greatest fear. It connects with your birth fear. Your fear of not being welcome, being wanted in this life. And your death fear. Your fear of not being welcome, being safe, being embraced in the life after this. It is the deep-seated fear that it would have been better if you had not lived at all. So with this song, you know, I, I, the word beloved uh, has been bouncing around in my head for probably a year since I heard this song. And I've wanted to teach this for a long time now, and I've been very excited about it, but every sermon I've heard on love is just so, it's just not good enough, right? Including my own. It's that word, right, that just bothers us because it's, so, it's supposed to be this end-all, be-all, this deep reality, and yet the words we have, the pictures, the metaphors, they just don't do it justice. You know, at least in the Greek, they have multiple words for love. And we just got the one old English word, right? Love, right? The same way that I love my iPad, I love you, right? It just doesn't work. There's something missing. And uh, new and... He really opened the door to what I was looking for. That in, in loving, in accepting and expressing love, what is happening at the most deep level is this, that you are being invited closer. You are being welcomed. Now here's why this is important to you. In this life, most of us, unless you are extremely lucky, have only experienced one type of welcome. Conditional welcome. So, for example, if the, uh, who do I say this? If a, who's, oh, if a Jehovah's Witness, God bless them all, amen, hallelujah. If they show up at my house today, I'm blocking the door. Do you understand? Kids, close the blinds, be quiet, shh, turn off the TV. I don't have time for that. We're not home. Leave. You know, they're knocking. We see your car. You know, come on. Anybody ever hide from people? Anyone? All right. They're not welcome. Conditionally for this reason. I don't want what they're bringing. I don't got time for that. I'm just busy. If I had a lot of time, I would love to sit down and have a conversation. But today, conditionally, I don't have time to welcome you, to make space for you in my life. I don't have time for it. Sorry. Now, if you do show up at my house with a pie, maybe I will make space for you, right? Conditionally. 
Oh, I see a pie in your hand. Oh, come on in. Put it on the table. You've bought yourself five minutes. <laughs> come on, be honest. We all know that we're human, right? Nice. Okay. A gift card to Starbucks. Okay. You, know. <laughs> you see how this works, right? There is conditional welcoming. Who, when they were a kid, made lists of what types of qualities they wanted their future spouse to have? Anybody? Oh, I knew you had a list. Yeah, we all know your list. It's way too long. It's impossible. <laughs> 20 pages, six foot four, except for the high one. She, no, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Don't give her the ahs. She says all the time, she goes, you know what? There are moments I wish you were taller than me. <laughs> there is one I cannot check. Sorry. Blame my parents, you know. Well, the potential's in there somewhere. Sean's tall. I don't, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. And so, <laughs> from a young age, we create conditional conditions. Well, I will welcome this person into my life physically, intimately, emotionally, mentally, if they meet these criteria. If they are attractive enough. If they have blonde hair, blue eyes, right? No? Nobody? Okay. You guys are being real coy today. Okay. If they have a certain amount of income, no one had that stipulation. Okay. <laughs> they had to have a job. Just some job. I don't care where the job is, just have a job, right? There are conditions on my choice to welcome you into my life, to make space, to invite you in, right? Every relationship in your life is conditional. You have decided how far into your life you will allow someone to go, right? The cash register, the, the person who, who takes care of your groceries, you see them all the time. You have welcomed them to a certain part, right? So at my house, I can welcome you into the first square of the foyer. And, I'll, and I, what I'll do is I won't do this number, I'll step back. Ah, you know, and here, you're welcomed in for a step. That's what you've earned. Let's have a conversation here, right? Some people have been welcomed into your living room for a, an evening. Some people have been welcomed in for a vacation. You'll vacation with them. Holy cow. You guys are brave. Some of you, if you, if you are married, if you have uh, deep friendships, you've invited them even farther. But here's the point. Every relationship in your life is conditional. You will only invite them so far as they meet these conditions. Now, that's not to say that we are these awful creatures, right? We are creatures with a limited ability to love. You might want to love greater than what you are capable of, but you can only offer so much. You are limited in how far you can welcome someone into your life. And so what's so, what's so powerful about this concept is love as being welcomed being invited in. I could do an entire series on this, but I'll just say, in the Scriptures, it is a series of images trying to show you what God's inviting you into. In the Old Testament, God is going to invite these foreigners into Israel. They're going to be a part of this. God, God is going to invite the Israelites into His presence once a year. God is going to invite the holy priest into the Holy of Holies once a year. There is a level of being invited into the very essence of God. In the New Testament, it even changes. Oh, we're going to invite the entire world into the nation of God. We're going to invite all people to be enter into the people of God. But then it goes deeper than that. We're going to invite people into the place where God dwells. God's going to open His door and say, come on in. We're going to call it heaven. Amen. Would you like to be invited to heaven? We... Okay. This is the idea, right? You are now, the love of God is expressed in welcome. You are being invited to come in closer. You're not being pulled in, you're being invited. Would you like to come closer? And we see little teases of this all through the Old Testament. Here's Moses. Hey, Moses, would you like to come closer? Then he goes, well, my face is now on fire. I'm good. No, we're We're done. We're done. God invites all of Israel to come up His holy mountain, and they say, no, send someone down. We're not going up there. You can send someone out to me. That's, that's great. 
We see these pictures. We see David hanging out behind the Holy of Holies where the book promises you'll be struck dead if you go behind this curtain. And here's David covered in the guilt of this past day of his transgression. Hasn't had time to make the right sacrifices. Hasn't had time to been clean. And he's hanging out behind the veil. Not strike dead yet. It's an invitation. Come, come back here. Jesus Himself, every moment, Jesus literally sits down at a physical table and then welcomes them to come closer. A prostitute, I know you were told that you're not welcome, but hey, would you come to my table? And then it goes even farther than this. We get this embodiment of God in this new form called spirit. And the invitation is this, hey, I will welcome you so far that I will even, if you would welcome me, I would come all the way in. I would even dwell in here. I wouldn't even invite you to my tent anymore. I'm going to come spend the night at your house. Slumber party. Have you ever translated the Bible that way? The gospel, an invitation to a slumber party with the creator of the universe. Amen. The invitation to the city whose gates are never closed. Do you see that? Well, heaven has walls. Yes, it does. It also has a gate whose gates are never closed. The welcome is always extended. This it's the very nature of the triune God. We call God a trinity. A triune meaning three parts somehow that are all interlocked. There's a, a deep relationship. They are deeply welcoming and drawing its own nature into itself. And we don't have time for all that. The epitome of what the gospel is, is the, the being that's existed before all things inviting you to be a part of it. Would you like to come in to experience what has always been before you ever were? Now that's a good gospel sermon. <laughs> An invitation in. Because here's the thing. All you've ever experienced is conditional welcome. Conditional love. In this church, you dress this way, you act this way, you talk this way, you believe these things, and you're welcomed here. If you're new, you get maybe two months. Figure it out. If you don't learn the conditions, we're going to show you your way out. If you can't fit here, you can head down to Grace Church. They take everyone else. <laughs> High school is the best experience of this, right? You walk in, and every single table is a conditional table. I'm not being mean to people, okay? But even the nerd table is conditional, by the way. I'm telling you right now, right? If the star football player comes and sits down, everyone looks at him. You don't meet the checklist, brother. Out. I took the kids to the museum this weekend. And uh, so, Nisa loves to be stylish. It's part of her conditional love, right? Can you buy me the thing? No, I'm kidding. It's a joke. And she has this bag that's beautiful. It's all black leather with gold. It's bling bling. And so what happens is when she is going to go somewhere else, because she took Jude to an art museum, and I took the kids to the kitty museum. That's how it works in our family. And so I get given the kitty bag, which is blinged out with leather, like Gucci. You know, it's not really, but you get the idea. And so I put it on. I've come a certain part. I've come pretty far in my life, right? I'm okay to walk around with this bling bling bag, Right? Like, there's a day when you wouldn't catch me dead with that thing on, right? And I'm just sporting around like it's no big deal. Who cares? What's it matter? You know? Hey, I welcome you into my life. Well, I found out not everyone wants to welcome a guy with the blinged out bag. <laughs> Had the kids outside playing, and this couple underestimated the size of my ears. I'm very good at listening. And this couple was straight up just making fun of me because of my bag. I mean, straight up just bashing the bag. Can you believe that guy? Look at him. He, you know, and I'm just sitting there going, man, take me back to high school, right? And so for me to experience the unwelcome, right? You are not welcome here. It tests me. 
Because here's the other end of it. Every one of us desires the deep welcome, but we respond when we are rejected. Right? Everyone in this room has a way that we respond to rejection of that deep welcome. Whenever I was younger, I was very good at a certain form of rejecting someone else's rejection. I would just reject you harder. I would make you feel like you were stupid. Oh, really? You don't have a bag? Well, you know, and I, and I would let them know, right? That was how I protected myself from rejection, by rejecting everyone twice as hard as they could reject me, right? This is, is a thing inside of us. Because one of the things that we've learned about ourselves, we use this tool called the Enneagram, and basically it tells us a little bit about our personalities. And every personality type has a deep desire. It's a form of welcome. There's a part of us that we are the most ashamed of that we don't believe someone would fully embrace. And so we build a construct, a personality, a way of moving in the world, an armor that keeps that deep desire from ever being met. The weirdest thing about the Enneagram is that your personality actually keeps you away from the thing you want the most. So it tells me that I'm a type 2, right? It tells me that a type 2's deepest desire is to be taken care of to be, have my needs taken care of by someone else. But the personality of a two functions in the world by taking care of everyone else's needs. And the weirdest thing about it is a two is the hardest type to take care of. They don't want you to take care of them. Here's why. Because they are afraid that somewhere those needs will not be fully met. And every type has a form of this. If you are taking notes, here's one I want you to kind of notice here. <sighs> your, ab your ability and willingness to request love, receive love, and offer love is the measure of your wholeness. Now, it's kind of a loaded sentence, so I get it if it's still kind of floating around for you. See, for me, as I grow into myself in Christ, as I allow Christ to heal me and to make me whole, I will learn not only how to express love, how to, to offer love to others, right? To offer a welcome, to invite people into my space. But I will learn how to ask that people would welcome me into their spaces. This is a profound thing for me. See, with my personality type, we're not good askers. It's my worst trait as a leader. I do not like to ask anything of anyone, but I love to expect it of them. Does that make any sense? I'll expect you to do it, but I won't ask you to do a single thing. That's very healthy. Thank you for that. Should we talk about your type? Get off me. We have a whole class about this. It's a blast. You should jump in. Everyone's like, we're never taking that class ever, honey. And so in this space, as we become healthy and whole, see, part of this ability to be beloved, right? I've, I've preached so many sermons on being beloved in God, being deeply loved. But few times have I ever had someone come to me and say, you know what, I feel that. Thank you. I feel deeply loved, right? We can use courses and classes and sermons, but there's always a separation from our ability to experience it, to know it, to, to feel it, to have that deep embrace bring us in. And see, one of the problems is this, is it's our very brokenness, it's the fact that we are wounded, that we have not experienced a full embrace. Can you think back to the first time that you were rejected in some way, shape, or form? It can take a million different forms, guys. I mean, at, at high school and you wanted to hang out with this person, they're like, uh, no. <laughs> you know, you sent the note to the person, yes, no, maybe, and they put no. You know what I'm talking about? In the West, men have experienced rejection from their, from their fathers often. There's a certain kind of a distance that the West has created with their parenting models. So the fathers would always be distant. The children would always want to be welcomed, to be brought close. And so dad would come home from work, exhausted, tired, a little bit angry, frustrated, just nothing left. And the kid runs. <gasps> Not now. I have work to do. I'm busy. One second. 
instantly. When we, ex- when we experience a rejection, when we are denied the deepest thing that we want the most, we begin to find ways to protect ourselves from it. No, 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 okay, okay. See, often when I'm doing counseling sessions and I'm pastoring people, I'll, I'll get them to tell me what they want the most. You know what? I'm really searching for this experience. I used to have this, and I want this now, and I don't have it. The process for me is to get them far enough where I can begin to show them, oh, by the way, uh, what are you doing to be open to this? Are you requesting this type of love and welcome? Are you making yourself available to it? See, when I see myself in my most unhealthy places in life, I deeply wanted that form of love or welcome. But everything I did created this separation from it. And so what happens with God is that we are brought to a place where we can finally receive it. I want to show you this in 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to read through this passage. Um, I don't have time to open it up, but I just want to say this. This passage is one of the most deep, profound passages in all the Scriptures. It sums up what God has been at work doing in human beings since the beginning. The, The goal of the work of the Spirit through Christ, this is what it looks like. Dear friends, let us love one another. And the moment we say love, everyone just begins to check out. Oh, gosh. By the way, love is not being nice. Do you hear me, Christians? Love is not being nice. In the deepest part of your being to invite someone in and to be willing and to be offering to step into their life. I want to know you. I want to understand you. I want you to get to know me. I want to share whatever it is you're going through. I want to make space in my life to know you honestly, really. It's not being nice. Let us love. Let us welcome. Let us invite each other in. For love comes from God. In the Greek it says, for love is. It's beautiful language. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Whoever has not learned to welcome others into yourself and allow yourself to be welcomed and invited into the lives of others does not know God yet. Because God is love. In God's very nature as a Trinitarian being, He is always inviting everything close. We have a word for this in the Bible reconciliation, to draw in, come close. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us. Not that we ever were the first ones to invite Jesus into our hearts. That was good. Amen. Hallelujah. But that God first invited us. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love each other. Here's the verse I want you to circle. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and His love is made complete in us. I don't know if you're getting the gravity of this. Your best chance to experience God in this life is to find relationships that are ready to invite you in and to prepare yourself where you are ready to invite people in. And in this place, God lives. The Word is abides. God hovers. God is found. God will not leave this place. God will always be in these spaces in your life where you find people who are willing to invite you in and you are willing to invite them in. And now it begins. And in this space, in this space only, this is where love is made complete. Some of the Greek phrasing here is a little bit tricky in English, but it's not just love that's made complete, it's you that's made complete. Your ability to be known, to let people know you, right? To not hide your stuff behind your back. And your ability to be willing to know someone else as they are is now whole, healthy, full, complete but only in this space. I love it. It doesn't say where Bible studies are done every morning. (laughs) Where prayer and fasting happen all the time. 
Amen. Where a hundred acts of service are done. Where prophesying and speaking of tongues happens. No. The one word that all of us hate. The cheese whiz word. Where we love each other. I can teach someone in a short period of time how to parse the Scriptures. I'm not going to make them a scholar because I'm not one, but I can teach them what to do. I can teach someone how to pray. I can teach someone how to, how to lead. I can teach someone how to organize. I can, there's all sorts of things I can teach someone to do fast. You name it. But you know what I can't do? Teach you how to love. The only hope I have is to welcome you into my life, to extend the love of God in me, to welcome you in, to offer a place where you're fully welcomed for exactly who you are. And maybe in this place, you will begin to have drops of what it is to be fully welcomed in, touch your soul. And in this place, you will be made complete. You will be healed and made whole. It has nothing to do with your intellect, with your ability to love fasting or prayer, with your ability to read the, the best church books or hear the best sermons. Your ability to ask for love, receive love, and share love. And I'll tell you right now, these people are short and few. There are not many of these people because it is difficult. It is a process where love is made complete, it says. If you, if you take that passage all the way down, it has this really scary line. It says, and because of all of this, because of this is the way God works, when the love of God is in you and being expressed out of you, in this world you are like Jesus. What a terrifying statement from the Scriptures. If you'll ever get to this place, you'll find out this amazing reality. You're the closest thing to Jesus they will ever experience. Golly, that's weighty. I'm going along this morning, but I don't care. Sorry, if you need to go, you're welcome to leave. I apologize. <laughs> it's hard to put these things in words. C.S. Lewis has this, this novel he wrote about... His ability, it was his attempt to understand heaven and hell and their relationship. It's called the, the Great Divorce. And there's this part in the book where this, this character gets dropped into what we would call kind of like paradise, if you would. He's not yet to the, the city of God, not yet to heaven. He's kind of working his way there. And he has this weird experience. When he gets dropped in, he begins to walk, and he begins to realize his feet hurt, and his shoulders are sagging. And all of a sudden, his feet begin to bleed, and he doesn't know what's happening. And basically, what happens is that this world is more real than he is. It's almost like, imagine, it's almost like it's weightier. It's almost like this world has more substance, more matter than he does. And so the blades of grass have the ability to cut through his feet. He's not whole enough. I have that image. He's not, he's not whole. He's not a being enough yet to handle what it is to be next to God. And so just walking on the grass towards God, his feet begin to bleed, and he can't take the weight of being in this much of a real world. Have you ever experienced someone offering you what you asked for and it was painful? Anybody? Now, it's a weird phrasing. You have to kind of like really look at your life. Past Appreciation Month is a painful month for me, by the way. Amen? Okay. There's a part of my soul that wants to ask for that kind of love, that wants to be appreciated, Right? But it's a stretch for me because there's still parts of me that are broken. There's still parts of me that expect to be rejected. There's still parts of me that aren't ready yet to ask to be loved in that way. There are parts of me that are not quite ready to receive love in that way. And so even to this day, like if someone doesn't, so imagine in my mind, I've got this hidden way I want someone to appreciate me. If they showed up at my door today and did that for me, I would be loving it on the inside but in my body, my skin would be melting off my face. Does that make any sense? I'd be very awkward. Uh, th thank you. I would have no idea how to express appreciation, how to fully take it in, right? I'm not quite there yet. Again, I'm not quite whole enough yet. It's almost like the very place I need to be, drawing closer to God, I'm not quite whole enough to handle the journey yet. There's a weightiness to love. I'm not just talking about someone who goes around hugging and who jokes at everyone who's always nice. I mean being loved. Someone saying, hey, 
I want to know who you are. Everything that you've hidden from everyone else, I want that part. That's what I want. Every person in this room is convinced that there is a part of yourself that is not welcome. And one of the worst things in all of the history of the church is this. Most of you have heard a gospel that says that you are only welcomed conditionally to God. We don't have time to open all this up, but I would just say this. One of the most dangerous doctrines that was ever written in the church ever was the idea of original sin. That you are born absolutely broken and jacked up and messed up and not conditionally welcomed. That this must be fixed first before I ever bring you in into my embrace. You're not beloved first. I don't have time to tell you why Augustine wrote this, but Augustine had some personal problems with himself. He didn't like himself very much, and he couldn't read Greek. And you combine those two things, and he made a really bad doctrine. But <laughs> he was human too, by the way. He did not like himself. He couldn't stay away from the ladies. <laughs> Just going to slip that out there, okay. How could God possibly embrace this part of me? No way. We understand this. What true salvation looks like, what receiving the work done in Christ looks like, is a process of allowing God to make you whole. The Bible studies will help. Church will help. Prayer and worship will help. But what all this is, these are all ways to try to get you to connect to a deep love that is drawing you in. A deep welcome that says this, all of who you are is welcomed in this room right now. And I can't say this enough to you. you. You don't know what this is like. If I walk into an Airedale football game with like Van Buren gear all over me, okay, there is a part of conditional welcome that I will experience. Wrong side, right? I will get glares and looks. Someone brave enough might even say something to me right? If I go to an Arkansas game, <laughs> North Texas gear on, right? People go, that's just rubbing it in. Did, Kentucky Wildcats, woo, you know. I'm not welcome here. I'm not saying I'm going to be hurt or pushed out, but you can sense you are not welcome. It's conditional. Now, if I walk in, if as long as I have something red on, I have my Razorback hat, something, oh, yeah, one of us, you're welcome. To be welcomed in a room where you are fully welcomed for exactly who and what you are. Nothing being left at the door. Just have this picture. The invitation. It's the door opening with the side like this. The Sutfins, by the way, are the people I think about with this. They always open the door that same way. Come on in! <laughs> right? That's all, and I'm always like, man, I, I can't do that. <laughs> I'm like, hey, how's it going? Hey, no, 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 you're not coming in this way. <laughs> we didn't clean yet. We got clothes on the couch, you know. Yes, there's healing and changing and sanctifying and all the things that so many people want me to say. Yeah, it all happens. But it happens on the inside of the embrace. Parker Sun's story is one of the most powerful gospel stories in all the scriptures. The embrace happens first. The meal happens first, and then the shower comes. <laughs> So in the Gospels, one of the parables used to explain evangelizing is the parable of the feast, where the king sends out an invitation to come into the palace, to come into the dining hall, to come in and to sit with him at the table. If salvation and growing with God looks like allowing the love of God, the embrace of God, the bringing you in of God, the welcoming you in of God to heal you, then evangelism looks like this as well. True evangelism is in some way, shape, or form, you are embodying the welcome of God. Period. Some way, shape, or form, you are in your very nature, you are welcoming people in. You are extending the invitation. As the, the parable says, he sent, he sent his all of his servants out to extend the invitation. You are welcomed in. 
Now, I want to bring this back to the heavy a little bit, if you, if you don't mind. Here's why we need the welcome. Here's, here's why we need the, help, the heavy. Because there is a place in you that when it comes out, it's deeply lonely, is deeply afraid, has encased needs that are not being met. I, I, I started with this song because the deathbed is one of the places where we can't hide things anymore. It's when everything comes out. Everything comes out there. It's a scary place to be. There is a part of every single human being that knows that when you go to this next, whatever it is that comes next, you are going alone. No one's going to hold your hand there. You don't get the carpool. It's terrifying. There's a part of you that knows that when you, when you go into your life, when you go through your issues and problems, when you're trying to work through things with your spouse or with your kids, that people might care, but you, somewhere inside of you, you know that you're in this alone. The reason that we must be people who allow ourselves to get healthy and whole, we allow ourselves to let God heal us, is because there is a world, starting even in this church right now, that needs to know that this place of being welcomed in is real. I'll close with this reading from now and again. It says this, Remember, you are held safe. You are loved. You are protected. You are in communion with God and with those whom God has sent you. What is of God will last. It belongs to the eternal life. Choose it and it will be yours. I've come to a place in my walk with Christ where when I allow myself to ask for love, when I allow myself to ask for someone to kind of invite me in to make space for me in my life, in their life, when I allow myself to, when I allow God to heal me up, bandage me up enough to where I'm ready now to let someone love on me, to welcome me in. Those moments feel like they're from a different place. I used to think that these awesome conferences and the worship would be awesome and there'd be good prophecy or something, and, and, and like those moments are so special. They mean a lot to me. But I've found that there are relationships where when I offer an invitation, and when they offer... An, an invitation. And when I accept and they accept and we draw closer, there is something that happens in this space that I can't put my finger on, but it doesn't feel like it's from here. It feels like I'm experiencing something that's bigger, that's deeper, something that will last. In the words of now and those things are eternal. When I invite someone into my life, when, I, when someone feels safe enough to share something with me that they have not shared with anyone, and I get to respond with an embrace. In this moment, there is an opening. We are connecting. The love of Christ is being complete. God is dwelling here, as the Apostle John would say. When there's vulnerability, when there's a little bit of nerves and apprehension, when there's not even an idea of, how, okay, what do we do next? I want to accept that and embrace it, but I, you know, I don't know how to fix this. In that space, there is something that is beautiful and eternal. Those are the things that when you connect to that, you say, I, I know God was there. And people will pay thousands of dollars getting toys and taking trips and trying different spouses and different friends and different hobbies and finding different tribes and trying to the sports tribe and the workout tribe and the work tribe and trying to find welcome in the deepest places and they will never be satisfied because those places are always conditional and what you want is unconditional. But the amazing thing is we only find that one place. You must first allow yourself to let God begin to unconditionally bring you close. And you begin to know exactly how broken you are and you begin to say, hey, so 
Uh, I would like you to love me, but I'm a mess. <laughs> How about it? And in these spaces, something beautiful happens. God dwells. God is found. And that is where love is perfected and we are made whole and people find exactly what they've been searching for. And on and on. Would you guys stay with me? Father, I just want to pray over us this morning. We don't know where to start. Let's start here. Spirit of God, you have the ability to, to, to move through and to know and to touch every part of who we are. I ask then this week that for everyone who's willing, who's brave enough, who wants to venture there, that as we take time this week to think about the parts of ourselves that we are most ashamed of, the deep desires that we are always kind of trying to hide from. As we take time to look at those things, to face them, maybe even to offer them to you, we ask that in some way that we would experience this week the unconditional welcome, the invitation, the drawing close, the tight embrace of God. That everyone in this room who wants to know, who's willing to know, is willing to take the scary journey, would leave this week knowing that they are deeply loved, that they are the beloved of God in Christ. Deeply drawn close, safe, protected, understood, and accepted for every single flaw, every single mistake, fully brought home by the one who made them. In Jesus' name. So we're going to have the prayer team come on up. And if anything kind of surfaced for you at all during this, this Sunday, uh, we have a promise also that God shows up in prayer when we're willing to confess to each other, to, to be vulnerable, put the walls down. God shows up in a unique way. And so we're going to be here if anyone needs prayer for anything. Father, I speak a blessing over this entire church that they would come to know you more fully. They would come to allow you to fully embrace them and to love them as they are right now. In Jesus' name.